Have you ever wanted to be a host on an ACA show or be the one calling the shots behind the scenes? Are you in Austin, Texas or at least Austin adjacent? Well, on Saturday, February 25th, make your way down to the Free Thought Library because we'll be holding open auditions for show hosts and orientations for prospective crew members. For those wanting to be hosts, you'll be able to sit in the studio where our shows are broadcast and we'll put you through your paces to see if you can be one of the new personalities of the ACA. For future crew members, you'll get hands-on experience using the equipment used for broadcast and will help us record the host auditions. If you've ever dreamed of being part of the ACA Productions, then this is your chance to show us what you've got. This event is free. For more information and registration, visit tiny.cc slash ACA Auditions. It's time to get sexy on Secular Sexuality. Welcome to Secular Sexuality, the ACA show asking you to unclench your jaw, release your shoulders, and gently arrive as we start the show. My name is Christy Powell. I'm joined again tonight by a guru in the subtle art of not giving a fuck, Kara Griffin. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. But also, it would have been fine if I wasn't, I guess. <laughs> Whatever. Who cares? <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Well, joining us tonight is therapist and philosophy student, David Teachout. Thank you for having me. This is, that opening was bed tent. So yeah, already excited. (laughs) Already feeling relaxed. (laughs) Well, tonight's poll asks, do traditional religions have anything left to offer the world? You can weigh in live or catch the results near the end of the episode. And in the meantime, we're having a conversation on the couch with Buddha and Freud. So give us a call with your stories and questions questions at 512-991-9242 or tiny.cc slash call sex because the show is coming right now. Well, David, I know that uh, Kara has met you a handful of times. I've actually gotten to hear you speak a couple of times, but I would love to introduce you to our audience. And I think the best way to do that is to let them know what's got you turned on this week. (laughs) You know, uh, I was thinking about this earlier and I have to say, you know, the latest uh, trailer for uh, John Wick 4 came out. Oh, yeah. Nothing sexier than Keanu Reeves. (laughs) Just seriously, the man, if I am like half that sexy at his age, I will consider myself blessed. So I can't even tell you how much memorabilia uh, and John Wick merch I have (laughs) littering my house uh, because even in this monogamous relationship, my partner was like, you know, we're not monogamish, but we need to leave at least a little (laughs) bit of room. Some room. Yeah. Yeah. A little little room. Real room, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Karen, what about you? It's got you worked up this week. I mean, other than Keanu Reeves, although although not so much in the John Wick sense. I'm more of a Neo, you know, from the Matrix mm-hmm. fan personally. But you know, I. I mean, I'm not going to come out in defense of beards this week, but I got to say the John Wick beard works pretty well. I mean, that's fair. (laughs) And yet yours is missing, but it's okay. Aside from that, also what's turning turning me on this week is 
a book. Shocking. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> I wanted to take this opportunity to tell y'all <laughs> about a book called The Meister of Decimon City. And it was written by a friend of mine, Brenna Rainey. And I am super excited for this book. It's fun. It's funny. It's about sort of a superhero, anti-hero story. And it has ace positive themes, which I think we don't really get enough of in some of our literature. Uh, and just, you know, kind of affirming characters being their authentic selves. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, a nice, a nice read. It's just, you know, a, a good kind of feel good kind of story. And I like that. Sometimes you need, I, someone told me recently that it's good to mix some fiction into your, your reading. So this is a good one. I don't know who that was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, fair enough. I want to just very briefly shout out uh, His Dark Materials on uh, HBO. Uh, the uh, Golden Compass and uh, that those that Philip Pullman book series was huge for me when I was a kid. Tried to go back and read it, reread it as an adult. Didn't quite come together for me. So I'm not necessarily telling people to run out and read a bunch of YA, unless that's your thing. But the uh, exploration of different religious themes and the war with God uh, and the like layers, the honest like levels that all of this is approached with because it's dumb, easy to follow sci-fi while also really playing with some Joseph Campbell, hero's journey, religious symbolism type themes that uh, I think our audience will totally dig. So I want to encourage people to check that out since they uh, just wrapped on the final season. It's absolutely worth your time. Excellent. Yeah. Adding it to the list. Yeah. HBO knocked that adaptation out of the park. It was yeah, really yeah. Nice. For folks who caught like the Daniel Craig Nicole Kidman movie mm. and then thought, why did that need yeah. to be a series? It's because yeah. that you don't need to watch that movie. The source material mm. really is great, and the visual effects on this HBO series are remarkable. Yeah. So let's uh, let's jump into it. This is a, a little bit of a different conversation for us because we are finally getting to explore something that I have just endless curiosity about. Uh, and David, I, I have heard you speak on some of these subjects. So I was really interested to get your take on, I suppose, the Buddhismification of, of modern Western psychology. I don't think there's an epidemic, but there's definitely a trend mm. that's worth looking at. And so I, I kind of want to get your take on some of these things. Uh, to start off with, honestly, I, I probably like wrote and then deleted this first question a half dozen times because Every time I see it pop up in a Facebook group, I think it's just such a boring and obnoxious framework to work from. But from you yourself, I'm very curious to hear, should we be talking about Buddhism as a religion? Is it a, mm. a lifestyle philosophy? Is it is it philosophy? Mm. Is it religion? Is it a way of avoiding suffering? Like, how should we conceptualize Buddhism? Yeah, well, I definitely would say uh, not about avoiding suffering, uh, quite the opposite, uh, actually. There's a lot of connections between Buddhism and Stoicism, and mm. both of which, of course, are famous for let's not ignore uh, reality. <laughs> let's not <laughs> ignore the fact that we have bodies. Uh, in fact, if anything, um, that was uh, Siddhartha's, you know, who's known as the Buddha, um, his big point was that there was 
he attempted the whole contemplative thing. You know, like how can we ignore the body to an to an aesthetic degree where we just deny, 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 deny? And he came out to the other end of it, going, "This is absurd." Um, you know, we we have bodies for a reason. This is how we are interacting with the world, and uh, we need to actually pay attention to it. Um, you know, if for no other reason than to recognize that it's a means through which we are uh, constantly being connected to um uh, you know suffering itself and the attachment of of things and and the false belief in permanence and when we really pay attention to our bodies it's one way of recognizing nothing is permanent mm -hmm. and there lies the you know or at least a path uh, towards you know, psychological <laughs> freedom yeah i i think that there are interesting if possibly overblown theories about the west and how like the abrahamic religions in influence literacy and scholarism mm. and colonial expansion and, and all of these kinds of things. And I'm sure that those are true to an extent. I, I don't think that that's worth dismissing. Mm. But what I'm curious about is whether you think that there are reasonable contrasts to draw with Hinduism mm. and Buddhism in the evolution of the East, because it's 2023 like it's not as if japan is this far off the the orient is unexplored like we're moved beyond those kinds of notions and yet i still can't help but feel like there are some fundamental worldview like bios level distinctions in how we tend to process the world uh wh what can you say about all of that oh very much so i mean if, if you for most of the world in fact even you I mean even the west and so on like if you do not not understand or you know look into many of the religious underpinnings of you know forms of government uh the mm. notion of individualism uh you know has its roots not entirely but has its roots in certain religious practices getting us away from um of course it backfired on catholicism um but you know but i mean they wanted i mean there were there were elements in which they were you know pushing for this elevation of 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 uh you know uh, expertise um not least because then it allowed them to you know get more money um but of course as a consequence people are like wait a minute i can derive my own personal meaning from the things that i create well then why do i need the church oh well don't go there um so you know it's um same thing you know uh to understand um you know china and its capacity for uh, in its capacity for its citizens to you know take on what we here would I would dare say rightly consider draconian uh, shutdowns as they attempted to deal with you know COVID um, and the the abdication of personal freedoms. You have to understand how you know Buddhism played a role in mm. the development of you know not only Zen but you know uh, you know Chinese forms of Buddhism, which is part of it. I mean, Buddhism any time uh, that you get into like this is what Buddhism said. I uh, knew there are sure. as many Buddhist uh, you know framings, uh, maybe not as many, but. You know, it's a fair number as say Protestant denominations. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, is there a basis in all of them? Sure, but it doesn't remove the fact that they're all very different because Buddhism goes into different areas and takes on uh, some of its cult, you know, takes on some of its cultural independence. You know, so you've got Shinto uh, and ancestor worship combined with Buddhism in Japan. Uh, you've got, you know, uh, variations in, you know, uh, Buddhism from, you know, East Asia to China 
to Thailand, to India, to so on. And uh, all of which seem to, uh, this is where um, I, I will, you know, curb my, um, uh, my my supposed expertise uh, and not even say that word um, because you know there seems to be some interesting elements where like Buddhism and Hinduism um, you know tie back to a yogic uh, kind of past and the variations in culture just kind of ended up emphasizing certain elements of it but yeah no I mean really understanding how people make sense of the world and derive meaning from it uh, is supremely important to understanding how culturally we deal with different things yeah yeah, that's that's a really good point too that you mentioned to you know think about it contextually because I think you know one of the big differences you know between you know Buddhism and then some of the more you know traditional Western religions the Abrahamic religions is here and in the West we tend to think about those as you know kind of the there's the one true God and you better have the right one or or you're following the wrong path and you're going to burn forever and that's not necessarily the main thrust in Buddhism or many of the other. Eastern religions. Like I remember uh, when I was living in Japan, uh, I think the statistics at that time were something like close to 70% of people practice Buddhism and almost the same number practice Shinto. And if you did a poll, they had the, a survey of people's religious beliefs and the majority of people describe themselves as not religious. And mm -hmm. those numbers don't really add up right <laughs> from the way we would be thinking about it. But uh, pe when people explained their answers, it was that, oh, well, no, I I'm not like a religious zealot. I'm not an adherent to, you know, the one true path. But, you know, sometimes I go to the temple and sometimes I go to shrine mm -hmm. and, you know, I take bits and pieces of this and that here and there. Uh, and so it's not the same as what maybe we think of sometimes. when We, so we traditionally consider it. Belief. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, well it's good to know that there is a little bit of opportunity to kind of mix and match. Uh, but David, go ahead. But no, I mean, it's just a, it's a good point, you know, as far as in, in fact, I think we often do ourselves in our own Western past that it's service by uh, trying to, you know, monopolize it through one view. I mean, so this is one reason why. Um, so Ninian Smart, he's a Scottish philosopher uh, and I think anthropologist, um, but he came up with, you know, a seven dimensional view of looking at religions. And the, so, you know, you have the practical or rituals, you have experiential or, or the emotional. So, you know, Paul's, you know, uh, experience on the road to Damascus, very emotional, very experiential. Uh, most religions will have some version of this. Um, um, you know, mythic or narrative, which is often what we get caught up in, mm. uh, in way and put way too much emphasis on uh, the doctrinal and philosophical, um, and the ethical and legal, the social and institutional, and then of course the material, and which if, which ends in like works of art, figurines, you know, so on. Mm -hmm. And we can like I can deeply appreciate, for instance, the material or works of art in many cases of say even uh, early Catholicism cathedrals. Sure. Yeah. are just phenomenal and it works of works of just architecture or art and the meaning behind them and the desire that they the the philosophy that went into their creation to invoke a particular emotional experience you just don't get that from walking into a 7-eleven i mean mm. it, it's just yeah. you're not gonna do that unfair comparison but still it's funny so i went <laughs> with it um but you know i mean it's, it's so you know we even within christianity you know there are 
are, you know, mystics who would completely eschew like all of biblical revelation mm-hmm. uh, and and reinterpret it in ways that for those of us, I mean, I was, you know, went to a Bible college. It was my undergraduate degree. It was like, you know, those were like, well, you're, you know, just the shade you know, shy of, of Satanism if you're going to be, <laughs> you know, doing that. Um, but, you know, but here you have people who are manifestly focused on, you know, the experiential component of this and they happen to call themselves Christian. Certainly there are elements doctrinally maybe, but you know, human experience is so much bigger than any single doctrine or dogma would have us believe. And it's good to be reminded of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, well said. I mean, I think it's worth pointing out that the three of us wouldn't all be volunteering here for an organization (laughs) that is dedicated to promoting atheism, critical thinking, and secular humanism, as well as the separation of religion and government. If we all truly believed that 25-ish, 2,500-ish years ago, ago, a man sitting under a tree (laughs) endured the worst the demon could throw at them and then somehow achieved perfect enlightenment. So with that in mind, I mean, first of all, is it is it necessary to engage with like the fantasy lore aspects of Buddhism to, to understand it or find value in it? I mean, no. I mean, the simple answer is no. Sure. Uh, is it fascinating from a uh, kind of a cultural anthropological perspective? Sure. Oh, great, yeah. I mean, you know, I know of atheists who are utterly enamored of figuring out the historicity of Jesus. Yeah. Do I find that meaningful? No. <laughs> but hey, all power to you. Like, yeah, I, I hear mean, that. Explore what's fascinating. I'm going to be the last person to tell you to not <laughs> explore, you know, an academic exercise that that just turns you on uh, to keep with the you know theme of the show. I mean, it's just like absolutely the the intellectual you know arousal is amazing. So go after it. Um, but when it comes to getting something out of Buddhism, do you even, for that matter, need to uh, believe in reincarnation uh, or any of it? No, uh, you don't. Um, so, I mean, it rely a lot of here on, uh, you know, Stephen Batchelor. Uh, he actually wrote The Atheist Buddhist um, mm-hmm. and phenomenal book. Highly recommend. And, you know, Buddhism Without Beliefs is another one. And between the two of them, you know, it, it's just a phenomenal exploration of how do you look at things from a scientific humanist perspective and almost like a Jeffersonian view, <laughs> you know, it's like you just removed all the mystical crap from the Bible and mm-hmm. said, oh, well, here it is. Hey, similarly, you can do so with Buddhism and jettison a lot of the mystical stuff and, and or reinterpret it in a way yeah. that is helpful and mindful even and transcendent. You know, transcendent does not need to be Cartesian. It does not need to be, you know, getting rid of the self or or rather getting rid of the body. Um, you know, we can we can we can explore these things in different ways without you know losing our minds. Yeah. So so you do believe that there are things in Buddhism worth engaging with once you you know strip away the magic and that it, it's not just a sour wall. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean it's sour in the sense that I mean one of its form, you know, noble truths is, you know, the 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 permanence of suffering. But even that is is I mean it's almost a poor often it's almost a poor translation um, mm. because what's really meant is is the preoccupation with permanence 
and the the um, innate seeming tendency we have to uh, to defy death, to to and to do so in increasingly radical and you know ultimately in a fit of irony, uh, self harmful ways. And you know, so much of well, some religions, for that matter, practices to how we deal with families is to go no this whatever this is, the way I view the world must be permanent. It cannot change. And therefore I will do everything I can to hold, you know, loved ones or society or whatever in a, you know, permanent state. Reality is bigger than that. Thankfully, uh, I'd, <laughs> I'd be rather depressed if, if uh, everything conformed to what I was thinking when I was like five. Uh, so I mean, come on. So no. And, and that's and that's where suffering comes in because you're trying to hold reality into a place that it it doesn't uh, it doesn't doesn't stay there. Yeah. It, so it's that resistance to, to that resistance to reality. I mean, mm-hmm. I know we're talking about all of this in terms of well, how do we how do we be careful about magical thinking and getting sucked into all of that? But the the core philosophy, or at least what we are trying to like pull out of it, is this idea of experiencing things very what imminently, very mm-hmm. accurately? Yeah. Well, and in fact, uh, you know, so one definition of nirvana even uh, was, you know, it was not about the cessation even of the self. You know, it's um, one of the misunderstandings often of a particular, you know, the Buddhist philosophy is that, you know, the no self. Well, they don't mean <laughs> that there is nothing there. What they mean is that there is no transcendental permanent self in the sense of, you know, the uh, kind of Neoplatonist uh, you know, Pauline, you know, Western Christianity version of, of a soul, um, you know, there is, it, you have, it's almost like perspective taking uh, mm-hmm. would be one way of looking at it. And so, but, you know, so the Buddha's notion here was that Nirvana was about getting rid of greed, hatred, and delusion. And it, it, it in fact, the, the late, the, the uh, most recent Dalai Lama is famous for noting, listen, if there's a dogma of Buddhism that does not align with science, then get rid of it. <laughs> I mean, if, if it's not being, you know, now, to be fair, <laughs> there are lots of different ways of kind of maneuvering. There are some blind things. spots there from, yeah. you know, a man who claims to be reincarnated. I appreciate your yeah. core. I appreciate the idea that you are saying, but I can't yeah. help but point out the way you're some applying. Glaring. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, he said he might not me. come back. So that's a little bit of a nod. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So, but, you know, all part two, I mean, there, there is, and he took that right from the Buddha. I mean, he was, you know, one of the reasons why his teachings took on was he was definitely a a man of his times. There were a lot of his ideas that had been around for a while and he was just taking from things. But what he did was one, he was a brilliant teacher, but two, um, you know, he allowed for the space of recognizing, hey, let's focus on the here and now and the fact that we are having to deal with um, the realities of our bodies and what we do in the world and how we show up, you know, morale, 
excuse me, morality and ethics was the cornerstone uh, of his thinking. And we can definitely and would <laughs> disagree with some of the some of the things maybe he found ethically, you know, good or whatever at the time. Um, I can still deeply appreciate that focus uh, because ethics, I 100% agree, actually, that ethics should be one of the uh, foundational elements that we spend, should be spending a lot more time considering, uh, particularly from a meta-ethic perspective. How does this all work? Yeah. So so like the uh, episode we did recently about better sex through mindfulness and being mm. able to like connect with your body and not be distracted by the outside world, not trying to uh, imagine an idealized outcome and then trying to achieve it, but rather just being present in the body and grateful and accepting of everything that's coming. Like, is it at all fair for us to see that as the final outcome or just the most recent outcome of like 2,500 years worth of research, even <laughs> if it wasn't necessarily in a, a science lab that we would respect with modern standards? Certainly elements of it. I mean, I mean, what you're describing a bit there has elements of tantric uh, practice and tantric Buddhism. Sure. I mean, it, it's, uh, in fact, man, it's been a long time. Uh, I mean, that was one of the first, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, forays, you know, after deconverting into sexuality was, you know, this notion of tantric and the idea of the... Uh, perfect expression of you know sensual pleasure and going wait come again <laughs> i mean like um really that, that that's a thing and it yeah it was it was uh, hugely freeing to 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 recognize that as an idea and but as far as you know some modern i mean um uh, daniel goleman uh there are let's see um owen flanagan there are multiple others who uh have engaged in for instance the dalai lama there's an entire series of books I will be referencing books all night long. Um, but there's an entire series of books that uh, are about basically conversations with the Dalai Lama. And there are scientists and philosophers that come in and they will just simply have these conversations with them about various topics. One's on death. Uh, one is on destructive emotions. Highly recommend the destructive emotions one. It's extremely powerful. Um, but they grow through like, here are the studies we've done. Here are the neural imaging that we've done. And what... Um, what Buddhism and in particular, you know, the Dalai Lama's version um, is focused on is a kind of an Eastern version of the, of the Socratic method. Like, let's analyze and thoughtfully consider everything before us in order to delve deep into how these things can help us live and examine life. And where we can ultimately, you know, get rid of delusion, get rid of hatred, get rid of greed, you know, these things that are, you know, foment so much of, well, destructiveness. So when we look at things like uh, DBT or MSC or mm -hmm. MBSR or ACT, like all of these different pieces of psychology I mean, there's so many different like therapeutic theories and practices that have been influenced by outright derived from Buddhist thought. How should we feel about that influence? Like, it sounds like you feel pretty comfortable with uh, with gleaning that information from that source so long as we run it through a lab. Is that fair to say? <laughs> uh, pretty fair. I mean, it, it's, you know, the, the 
you know, the, the difficulty of, of psychology and, and sociology, for that matter, is that they're not great at being reduced to a lab, uh, which, you know, the, the, um, uh, uh, the replication crisis that's been going on for a while now uh, should be showing us that and really should, re- should help us be a little more humble in some of the things that we read and, and particularly, uh, you know, media going, this is the latest thing that we found out about humanity. Like, um, <laughs> it's probably not that simple. Um, and so, you know, is it helpful to stream all, you know, kind of uh, um, sift through and, and use a scientific method and, uh, you know, logical analysis and so on? Absolutely. This is not an application of reason. At the same token, um, you know, the contemplative kind of practices of thousands of years should be absolutely looked at uh, and, you know, taken for what it can provide in, in the ways that we that we can see it. And, you know, some people make have made in my, you know, perhaps not so humble opinion, you know, a little too much of like, oh, my God, this is another thing that, you know, the Eastern thinkers knew all along. Um, and sure. like, eh, OK, um, but there are elements. I mean, this there are some bone deep truths that psychology and so on keep coming back to and uh, that, you know, uh, philosophies or the philosophical elements uh, of uh, Buddhism uh, have long been discussing. So good to use. So I have a question as the uh, resident non-psychologist in the room. Uh, Christy, you <laughs> mentioned some therapies and I'm not sure what those are. I wonder if y'all could give a couple of examples of, of what these sort of therapeutic theories or practices are that are using uh, some of these ideas. Yeah, I mean, it's um, so DBT, dialectical behavioral therapy, uh, and and, you know, was uh, Marsha Linehan, you know, um, out of uh, University of Washington. I believe she still teaches there. Um, and it w- largely was, you know, originally was around, you know, dealing with personality disorders, um, in particularly borderline, if I recall correctly. Um, and it's been, it, it caught mainstream <laughs> and, and people ran yeah. with it uh, and, and, and made some people a lot of money and, and uh, licensing people in it. Um, so is it, is it really helpful? It can be, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the practice of holding things in tension can be extremely helpful. Uh, I, for one, am a huge advocate of noting that cognitive dissonance is not actually an evil. Uh, it's our natural state of affairs. Mm-hmm. And most of what we do is actually to try to run away from it <laughs> when really we should <laughs> embrace in humility. Like, you know, I have some thoughts that contradict one another and that's okay. Uh, maybe I should, you know, from an act or acceptance commitment therapy uh, perspective, hold these a little more lightly than perhaps my brain and conscious experience is telling me to do. Um, because, well, to come back to Buddhism, everything passes. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> is permanent, and this too will will move on. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely there's that. Um, uh, I don't know, Christy. Do you have a? Yeah, I mean, I threw in there uh, mindful self compassion, oh. which mm-hmm. uh, is kind of about finding ways to make it palatable, make it comfortable to be present with those unfortunate mm-hmm. realities, and uh, working to manage all of that. That sort of radical acceptance notion that you also see come up mm-hmm. in DBT. It, uh, I, I really can't overstate how 
commonly a lot of these ideas are being integrated into into modern therapies, but also into very trendy therapies, which are sometimes synonyms, but but not always. Yeah, no. And so and often so and this is one of those where uh, meditation practice and so on is not always the good that it often gets lauded as. I mean, there you can, <laughs> I've encountered a few clients over the years who have had psychotic breaks uh, mm-hmm. because they engaged in certain practices that they were not ready for and were not contextually controlled for um, any more than psychedelics. Uh, there seems to be some really great research and, and there's a lot of good things that possibly could be helped out with them. But you don't want to just go out and just start, you know, guess what? I'm going to start eating whatever mushroom I happen to find on a trail. I mean, this is... Uh, there's <laughs> a reason why we panicked and shut all of that research down right. uh, back when we did. Yeah. I, I think that there was some moralizing bullshit and we don't have to talk yeah, about yeah. Timothy Leary and everything else. But yeah. it is worth saying that, yeah, you're, you're playing with some powerful forces here mm-hmm. and they can't always be driven through a laboratory yep absolutely. but they're not demons yeah but oh, no, they're not no, demons definitely, definitely not that yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there, there's there's a destabilization that can happen um particular uh certain non-dual uh, meditation practices uh as much as i you know laud them you know i try to practice them like to do more often and they can be extremely helpful but the dissolution of the self you know the the the, the getting rid of this of this object permanence that we think of ourselves through is really needs to be couched in a helpful uh you know social context and with professionals and in likely frankly with some philosophical musings and reflections before you engage in it because yeah our brains aren't i mean we evolved to for a reason <laughs> to think uh, of ourselves as, in, in this way and to dissolve it i think can be helpful and is needed, particularly in this modern technocratic society we're in, to help you know reduce the pull that anxiety has on us. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's you know that it's an easy or one and done practice uh, or without its pitfalls if done wrong. Well, those are all great points, and we have some callers on the line. If y'all are interested, what do you say we take a few calls? Yeah, who you got for us? All right. Well, let's see. Okay, looks like first up we have. Stephen. Pronouns are he, him, and he is wanting to talk about how Buddhism plays into political issues. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Can you hear us? I can hear you, Tara. Thank you. Um, and Christy, I miss the facial hair. You look great, but I miss it. I got confused. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so, uh, David, nice to meet you. Um, I, as I'm listening, uh, and you put forward the uh, foundations of Buddhism uh i i feel like in the west partly because of of the judeo-christian abrahamic nature of our religions we tend to look at buddhism as almost new age exotic liberal what have you and it strikes me that in a lot of asia they're still very conservative uh specifically around what we talk about a lot here lgbt issues I wondered uh, if you could talk a little bit about how that sort of plays in. Like, they don't recognize same-sex marriage in Japan. You mentioned how Shinto is is sort of a combination of 
ancestral uh, honoring is alongside of Buddhism. Uh, and then you just go across, you can pick a country, and then you go to somewhere like Myanmar, where it's a Buddhist majority suppressing a Muslim minority. So I wonder where this conservatism sort of comes from in uh, a philosophy that we tend to think of as being very respectful of life and and sort of transcendental, like you're talking about, that it's, we shouldn't necessarily be worried about some of these things. Hope that made sense as a question. Very much. Thank you, Stephen. That excellent question. Um, yeah, it, this is where you know the East. Um, you know, in fact, even to use the phrase like the East it is to do it as from our perspective. Right. I mean, yeah. so I mean, I don't want to make too much of that because I mean, that's what we all we. It's like you know the face of a tree. It's a necessary kind of evil. It's it's a necessary yeah. yeah. It's a necessary thing of extrapolation for the language. But um, but at the same token, it's like well, wait a minute, we're going to be viewing these things from our from our perspective and there has definitely been a tendency to almost you know infantilize in some ways uh you know many eastern thought um kind of are you know another version of the noble savage myth you know mm. kind of thing you know anybody that's different must therefore be uh inherently better and pure uh there's there's a running theme of self-hatred throughout western society uh that you know rears up every so often in various ways uh, for some good reasons and some other ridiculous reasons and um and this is another manifestation i think so we have to be careful about like oh it's different than ours so therefore it must be good and so uh you know very much so i think the conservative component of it i mean if we if we look at conservatism as a uh you know a, a little bit for a second away from topic oriented so in the sense of like family lgbtq rights and so on um and instead look at conservatism as a kind of conservation tendency uh then you're going to see this element in any it will in all societies and in including its religious you know uh elements uh, or in its religious manifestations of culture and so you know for buddhism the idea there's often been a streak of um you know bodily refusal uh there's been uh often a an elevation of the spiritual and uh you know the um in spiritual in the sense of non-body and the you know reincarnation itself uh, has been there you know so which i can see where a uh focus on family i mean this is where you get into confucianism uh later on maoism uh which basically took confucianism in china and politicized it more than it already was uh and which itself also had elements of buddhism uh in it and so and they took it and wanted to conserve a form of society that helped them function within the geographic context in which they found themselves and so as a consequence you you know have this uh you know yeah kind of hesitancy uh, to put it nicely um around any any so-called alternative uh you know family dynamics or personal expressions and although there have been elements in japan and in china of uh you know homosexuality and so on or that have run throughout history it's just that they were put in a very narrow context and certainly not as an acceptable form of marriage or institutionalizing any of it because you still had to carry on family and so on. So there is, 
you know, often people would have, you know, lovers on the side and so on. It, it, like the whole thing was, it wasn't, it's not as negative as um, sometimes we look at it, but it wasn't accepted either. So this was not in the same way that we would like to think of it as, you know, or would like to see it happen today. Um, so yeah, you, know, you have to, you have to be careful and kind of look at things. I mean, one of the reasons I think why, I mean, this, you know, we have the capacity here in the West of being able to, um, uh, you know, get into all these different ideas and different manifestations. Like, what does it mean to be an individual? And how does this work? Is, well, we have two oceans <clears throat> on either side of us. Um, you know, we we have an abundance of resources. We have, I mean, in many ways, uh, we have not had to rely on anybody else. Uh, so the whole you know, expansionism, uh, you know, that has definitely had its negatives in colonialism and so on, has also had its positives in, you know, personal expression and creativity. And so, yeah, I mean, and all those things are in some ways derived from the luck of, you know, being, being geographically where we are. So, yeah, I, I would follow on uh, with that, David, and just mention, I think I've talked about it before, you know, my, my personal favorite uh, annual festival in Japan takes place in Kawasaki every spring. And it's the, uh, the annual penis festival at, mm -hmm. at a, a shrine. It's a Shinto shrine uh, that is it. dedicated to penises and they yeah. have big penis floats that people carry around on their shoulders you get uh penis shaped lollipops uh and and it's a big turnout and and a lot of the lgbtq plus community is there they have people in drag it's it's very welcoming but it's one of those things like you said where there's certain spaces for it mm -hmm. and it fits in the sort of cultural milieu and the expectations for how people are behaving maybe it's not an everyday thing but there's a space that's carved out for it. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and that's a religious festival. Uh, so uh, it's not necessarily that uh, religions represent, you know, the sum total of all of the values that are going to be existing in a society, but they sure mm -hmm. are easy to call upon if there is a, a political project that needs to get people's agreement to perhaps increase their family sizes by engaging in heterosexual normative relationships that produce large numbers of children and not asking questions about it, which, <laughs> you know, you have in, in Japan and China right now, you know, kind of a little bit of a demographic crisis with, you know, low birth rates. So it is easy to understand why there would be political projects pushing for that. But yeah, it's that are failing. Yes. I mean, mm -hmm. and, and there and there's the limits. I mean, Catholicism found it, uh, you know, the kind of nationalistic religions uh, in certain like China and so on are finding out that there's only so much you can push and hold people down into a, a, a contrived um, space. And, you know, one of the biggest things particularly going on with China now is the fact that you have an entire generation of people who went, I like all my stuff. <laughs> like, wait, you mean I don't need children in order to make a living and to support the family? I'm making enough and to have my toys and my, you know, experiences and so on. Oh, wait. So, you know, there's just not much of a push and you can tell people all day long, it's your national duty to breed. Um, yeah, 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 pleasure is always gonna win, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm also gonna take this opportunity to plug a documentary in Japan called Queer Japan, which uh, documents the lives and experiences of 
queer people in Japan. And it kind of talks about how it is difficult, you know, politically in some ways, you know, um, marriage arrangements not being legal in many cases, issues with transitioning genders, things like that. Uh, But also it kind of highlights the ways that people are able to find those spaces uh, to to be and exist. And it's really fascinating and I highly recommend it. So there you go. Queer Japan, check it out. I will do that. I, and since you're recommending that, I'll also recommend quickly a YouTube channel called Tokyo Bottom. Uh, it's a Canadian and a, a, a Chinese immigrant to Japan who talk about things day to day as well, like the difficulty getting an apartment uh, as a as a gay couple and things like that. It's mm-hmm. actually very interesting. They also talk about more sexual fun stuff, but they get into the nitty gritty of daily life. And I find that very interesting. Well, thank you very much for taking my call and answering my question. I appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. It was good talking thank to you. you. And thanks for the recommendation. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. You too. Okay. Well, that was fun. I liked that call. I suppose this might be a good time to take a look at what else is going on around the ACA. What do you say? With that lives where you found me, uh, you know, just doing my thing uh, in the uh, the pet palace. I, I like the uh, idea that the audience thinks that I just like sort of troll fet life, just trying to find somebody to come and talk to me about something <laughs> sexy and funny and weird. He knows things through a feeling, and you know from a feeling, and it seems like with that very same method, we can arrive at almost polar opposite belief. Do you think that way of knowing your belief is a reliable way to know that belief? Um, if you read, there are passages and letters written by Queen Victoria herself, where she, let's just say, gleefully comments upon the manhood of her husband, Albert. That's why there's a ring named after him. That's uh, how he used to control the beast. Are you inside my brain? I can tell you what Satan your mind into believing. Hold on. Much. I I find it kind of offensive to use inflammatory language like that to describe somebody that does not believe in in your God. Whether it's in the Bible or not, for treating a being as a means and not an end in themselves. And just because some Bronze Age semi-savages may have justified it, I just don't think that counts. Cool. Well, I will say that when I uh, I wrote this question, I was not as familiar or as sure about your beliefs, David. So I, uh, I feel like I'm a little bit safer here. But I guess <laughs> I will go ahead and admit that as a therapist who often works with like the evangelical community mm-hmm. and works on issues of religious trauma and shame and all of these kinds of things, I still pretty often speak with clients about ideas like finding refuge in the Dharma or I'll mm-hmm. offer like a, a Buddhist koan or something when we're working together. And I, I guess I'm just interested in how that strikes the two of you as professionals and as people who have participated in therapy and those kinds of things. I mean, what what kind of concerns or, or guidelines would you have about a therapist allowing that kind of language into that space? I think it, it, the fact that we even ask about it when uh, quite often, you know, Christianity is just a de facto uh, sure. you know, end point within many therapists, uh, even those who don't style themselves as necessarily, uh, you know, Christian or religious therapists will still bring it up. Um, and I mean, what was the recent thing around? There was a therapist related to, uh, uh, it was a, a expose kind of critical of, of better help. And it was a, a therapist who's like, well, can you just stop being gay? 
and, and, and <laughs> people were shocked and, and, and rightly so. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the negative uh, publicity went to better help. And there are a lot of things that are difficult around it, but you know, this wasn't that it was no, people don't understand just how pervasive that belief still is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Even in therapeutic circles who, you know, ostensibly should know better. Um, but they don't, you know, it, it's still, you know, it's, it, yeah, it's still huge. And um, so, no, I mean, as also somebody who, you know, predominantly works with people with uh, religious trauma, you know, uh, struggling with, you know, ethics and philosophy around life and meaning and purpose because of, you know, getting out of, you know, deep fundamentalist uh, structures, both religious and political, um, you know, struggles of identity and so on. I have no problem bringing up uh, because one, I'm a human being. Uh, so I have opinions. Uh, I'm also male. So, you know, so, socially speaking, I've been told that I need to have opinions about everything. And so, sure. you know, it's, um, it's just one of those things where uh, to, to sit there and go, mm, I'm just, just a blank slate for, for your expert of your exploration is just a lie. And, and it's not authentic. And so bringing up like, Hey, um, I think the, the line that needs to be looked at is whether or not um, the outcome of the therapy is driven by my needs to have a to have things look a particular way. Like and, your needs as a therapist, you mean? Yeah, or even or even whether or not it fits entirely. Like I don't have to agree with everything my client, uh, you know, does. Sure. I, yeah. You know, certainly. Um, and in fact, nor do I want to any more than I would want any client to fundamentally agree with me on everything. I don't agree with me on everything all the time. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is <laughs> we we should have that space to be able to question. And at the same token, if there is elements even within religious structure or semi-religious structure like Buddhism that can be helpful. I mean, I recommend meditation frequently, uh, you know, from both its mindfulness kind of uh, side all the way to, you know, forms of non-dual medit meditation. I mean, it's, uh, there are elements of all of these things that can be, you know, quite helpful uh, as long as it's focused on what are the goals of the, what are they looking to accomplish and helping them align how they see the world with, you know, uh, you know, not bullshitting themselves too much about how that it's going to affect their, you know, their outcome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and certainly a lot of this is uh, speaking the language of the person that you're talking to. And mm -hmm. I, I don't want to get too esoteric about uh, <laughs> therapy itself for, for our wider audience, but to that end, Kara, I guess I, I wanted to ask you about how that kind of language might feel in that set in that type of setting or uh, what kind of vulnerability might be there. Because clearly if somebody is coming to me with like extreme religious trauma from evangelicalism, I'm going to be very careful about pushing anything that is going to kind of trigger that, that religious component. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. And for me personally, if I was seeing someone about my religious trauma, which may be extensive, um, I, I would probably not want the first thing that we talk about to be some other religious practice. Yeah. I try this one instead. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is the good yeah. one. Um, you know, I, I would be hesitant about that. Uh, but at the same time, I think I've mentioned before on the show, I, I do meditation practices. I have the Headspace app on my phone that I do often and regularly. Um, we've talked, you know, uh, with you, Christy, before about the mindful self-compassion and how 
you know, useful that can be. So I think, you know, to me, if you can justify it as something that is evidence-based, I don't care where it came from, if it's going to work, if it's helpful, if it's evidence-based. I mean, if you're selling me crystals, that's a whole different thing. Sure, yeah. But um, and, and I'll say I love my field. Like David was talking earlier about different therapists, and I, I'm so passionate about the work that I do. And I know so many therapists that I would never recommend to my sister, to my friend, and, and whatever else. I know therapists that sell crystals. I Just straight up. I do. So how do we how do we be smart consumers, right? Like, do we uh, how do we have some healthy guidelines to? Well, I'm going to use another religious phrase, but separate the wheat from the chaff. <laughs> well, and I yeah. love that you did that, uh, Christy, because I I think it's true, and it goes back to something David said too. Where you know a lot of us are are walking around with assumptions in our heads that may have come from religious teaching that we learned in the past mm-hmm. that can be informing our practice. And and I am not a therapist, but I teach. I'm an anthropologist. And, you know, one of the things that I love about teaching is that it gives people an opportunity to try on different ideas and to realize, aha, I may have arrived here with some assumptions that I didn't realize were rattling around in my head. And when you give people something new to think about that comes from a totally different perspective and have them try on a new idea or a new way of thinking about something or taking a new perspective, it can help them have that aha moment, which I can completely sympathize with because I'm one of the people who showed up to an archaeology class in college thinking that Noah's Ark was a real event that occurred. (laughs) And, you know, it was nice to learn new ideas. And, you know, uh, so... I, I think it can be helpful to introduce even challenging ideas sometimes to people it, as a learning experience, but uh, mm-hmm. perhaps that's different than a therapeutic experience in some ways. Maybe it's similar in some ways. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, challenging people's thinking is definitely uh, part and parcel of the project, but the nature of that challenge, the the force and the pressure of it, mm-hmm. I, I guess if I have any guideline for anybody, it's just notice how did that make you feel? You know, that, that good old fashion therapist idea if you walk into a therapy office and you see a gold buddha in the corner <laughs> and that sets you off that's valid right like we don't have to dig into the rationale too deeply if this is not a place where you're going to feel safe and comfortable david is all that work for you largely i mean i i, I get a, a little wary about the kind of um uh, uh positional knowledge taking, you know, that uh, is rampant these days. But, you know, absolutely, everything that you feel is at the point of feeling uh, valid insofar as it's a recognition that something is going on that is important to you that has either been violated or supported, depending on the nature of, of the feel. And so pay attention to it. Does that mean that every idea that comes along for the ride is equally as valid and, and true? No. I mean, <laughs> we, we have feelings all the time that, that encourage certain thinking that is uh, highly, you know, uh, uh, you know, self-harmful and so on. And so we need to be, you know, careful about that. Um, and so very much, I mean, you know, I get struck by, uh, you know, several therapists that I follow uh, who, you know, at, at, at no point in the therapeutic relationship um, should it ever feel like suddenly you're friends 
mm. you know, or, uh, you know, or that, um, in fact, quite often you should feel uncomfortable. I mean, it, it, you, you should feel, you know, that's part of that challenge thing. Like if you're constantly being affirmed that everything you think and feel is inherently correct, well, why are you spending hundreds, hundreds of dollars, possibly an hour to hear that? Like, just go to a bar, like in my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. So, um, at the same token, though, <laughs> there is that element of uh, of paying attention to. Well, wait a minute. What did I show up here for? In fact, if anything, this would be then something to to uh, a principle to look at is go is to be aware of. Okay, what did I show up for? And did I find myself going down paths that were more derived from the therapist than myself? Mm, mm-hmm. That's a pretty good, at least yellow flag, if not perhaps a red one, to be able to go, I'm not in therapy, I'm in another form of indoctrination. And so, you know, keeping aware of, I've got my path and my goals that I want to focus on. And that should, and the therapist should be there to help you with those, not to supplant them uh, with their own, uh, you know, ideology. So yeah, definitely check in. Do we need to understand Buddhism on any sort of meaningful level to get value from things like, uh, like DBT, looking at dialectics and trying to hold two Mm. opposing thoughts in your mind or, you know, studying uh, mindfulness or meditation? Is there some need? need to have a more like fundamental understanding of where these philosophies or ideas are derived from? I mean, <laughs> the, my, my, my like deep seated inner nerd says yes. Uh, yeah, you know. I mean, so I need to know the full lore of where <laughs> the Infinity Stones came from and how right. the gauntlet manages to channel their energy in order yeah. to recognize why, you know, these 32 <laughs> movies have all come together. But yeah, yeah from from just a, a day-to-day person perspective, yeah. is it, you know, is it how vital yeah. does it feel? This is why I was lost in Endgame there, I said it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's because you were like 32 movies behind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, well, yeah. The the Flash movie just recently, the latest trailer, and you're going, uh, <laughs> wait, there's this hyper force, and it's the all different universes. And I tried explaining all this to my wife, and she's like, nope. Mm-mm. I'm like, I'm like I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't need to go on there. Like, yeah, it's too much to investment. <laughs> too much. Um. So you know. No, I mean, I'm wondering, do you need to know the ins and outs of every last little jot and tittle? <laughs> Other Bible reference. Uh, for, um, you know, to, to one, uh, find some of these ideas useful, uh, to see where some of these come from? No. Uh, should you be inquisitive, though? Yeah. I, I mean, this this is, you know, this is where, um, you know, without getting too perhaps, I mean, it, it's one of the things around, here's the line between bad cultural appropriation and in uh, an appreciation, you know, where if you, the inquisitive side puts you on the, 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 the positive angle of this to go, you know what, there's probably some history here that I need to look at. And, be, and there's an entire history and culture and people that are tied to these things. Darn right, you should probably have some idea of these things rather than just 
you know, taking them off like it's, you know, hopping to you from McDonald's. But, you know, on the other hand, can you still get, you know, some, you know, good, meaningful things out of it without knowing every last piece? Yes. And good. Uh, good, good thing that we can. Well, are there, uh, I mean, you talked a little bit about uh, the therapeutic process and sort of ha- what should be driving that when things are working correctly. But are there red flags specific to these sort of like Buddhistic thoughts that we should be aware of? I mean, when we're working with a therapist or reading a self-help book, I'm totally okay with some, you know, folklore story to illustrate a point, but I am not going to be interested in anything that purports itself to be an evidence-based practice that then starts to lean into reincarnation and starts to talk (laughs) about, you know, perfect enlightenment. Are there, are there better razors that you can give us or ways to be on the lookout for some of the bullshit that we might encounter in this space? Yeah. I mean, if your therapist starts referring to themselves as a bodhisattva, uh, uh, yeah, run, don't walk <laughs> sure, uh, yeah. to the door. Um, that's, that's pretty good. I don't know too many who, who do, but um, or at least they don't associate with me. Um, but yeah, I mean, any any time that there are, you encounter like here, I'm I'm this progenitor of truth kind of thing, you know, run away. Um, you know, some of the things to pay attention to as well is, um, you know, any kind of, you know, uh, us versus them kind of, ex- you know, extremist language, uh, you know, there is, um, you know, anytime, you know, you start hearing from your therapist or, or anybody that uh, who says like, this is the only way to see things. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a warning. Um, because you want good mental health, I think, is related to creativity and inquisitiveness. I mean, there are two sides of a coin there. And um, and when you are present in that therapist should be encouraging. It should be encouraging your agency, should be encouraging reflection and a recognition that uh, every piece of knowledge we have is tentative and should be held lightly. And that the constant questioning is is a is a net good. Um, so if you you know have somebody who's denying any of that, yeah, probably go find somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if they're not interested in ethics for that matter, yeah, be a little worried. Um, you know, anybody who is you know so focused on uh, you know your own spiritual knowledge. Uh, without any kind of inquiry into what that might mean. Um, yeah, probably find somebody else or at least, or, or at least start asking more questions of the person. Yeah. Show some yeah. skepticism. No. Uh, so that, yeah. that example from earlier, I guess, was drawn from my real life because mm. I, uh, I found a therapist online that I was really excited to meet. Uh, everything about their website, uh, seemed great. We met in person for the consultation and in the office, there was a small Buddha statue, which on the one hand, definitely set the hair up on the back of my neck. On the other hand, as a therapist, not in this current space, but in my last office, I put uh, behind my head a picture of the Daruma. And I'm not going to get into that whole story, but it was a very useful uh, metaphor for a lot of the Mm -hmm. clients I was looking at. 
And when I hung it up, I was always a little bit afraid that somebody watching one of these ACA shows was going to like zoom in, zoom in, zoom in, <laughs> zoom in and want to give me shit about it. I, I guess I'm not popular enough to warrant that type of Easter egg hunting. <laughs> uh, but but all of this is just to say that eventually I found out, oh, that wasn't even her Buddha. Like she shares an office and works with somebody who has philosophies that are slightly different, but not so different enough as to be repugnant. And I, I know that that is sort of a long-winded way of saying very little about what to avoid and what to look for, but I do think there's nuance here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, shoot, I uh, actually have two tarot uh, decks. Yeah, have I that's actually a super common thing in therapist yeah. offices. I, I'm like, really? do I? Th- oh, yeah. They're oh, beautiful art. I will have to show you sometime. Um, but because because it's all metaphor creative outlets. I mean, this is one reason why, you know, we'll often laud, like, go out and read fiction. Like, go out and explore different ways of creating new worlds. You know, do I think that the tarot is some deep-seated, like, elevation of, of spirituality to, you know, enlightenment and, and unlocking the secrets of the universe? Oh, hell no. You know, but, you know, <laughs> do I think it is uh, or can be for some? You know, this is not something that I bring out for anybody. You know, it's usually if somebody asks, like, oh, is there an alternative way of thinking through this? Like, well, you know, actually, uh, let's look at the death card and how this might look. And, you know, it's like, let's pick a few and look at it from a past, present and future. It's probably one of my favorite techniques. And and going like, here we are. Uh, how do you how do you just random association? What story does this help you know build for you? Again, holding it lightly, but as a way of exploring how you see the world and stepping outside of the boxes that we often put ourselves in, it, it's fun. It's just, it's just, it's, it's a nice little toy <laughs> to, to play yeah, around. Just with. Another angle for looking at things. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's also another way to let the demons in. That's what. I well, mean. I mean, there is that. Which I mean, they keep me warm. So it, it's, <laughs> it's the scratching at the soul. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, as a clinician and and somebody working in these spaces, how worried are you, if at all, about this sort of like East meets wet, East meets West moment that we're finding ourselves in? And and is that even a fair way to frame what's happening right now? I mean, yeah, I don't know if I it's a it can be a useful framing uh, as long as we it's not the only one that we use. Sure. You know, you know, come back to, um, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, the dictum of, of we're all human beings. I mean, sure. just, yeah. Let's be a little all, like us and them and a little yeah, just we. Just we. You know, the, I mean, it's the, um, uh, you know, Daniel Siegel in, in his attachment theory and in his, uh, in his theory on interpersonal neurobiology, you know, has this whole notion of the, the me that is we. And it's a recognition that none of us are ever alone in how we see the world, how we manifest the the ways of constructing it. Um, We're constantly in some kind of relationship. And, you know, the fact that we, you know, yeah, don't want to go back towards the noble savage myth. We don't want to, you know, infantilize. Um, We want to see not only ourselves, but everybody around us as struggling to figure this shit out (laughs) in in ways that are sometimes amazing and beautiful and enthralling. And in other ways, woo, yeah, let's not go there too much more. 
but be honest about the journey. And sometimes it's got both and it's okay. So uh, yeah, is it, is I think a net positive though, that we've been encountering more and really delving into it. I think overall, I mean, this has been, I mean, it's, there's still some silliness. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we just had the Super Bowl, So silliness is, is, is come on. Um, <laughs> sure. So um, it's just part and parcel of us. Embrace it. <laughs> Like, none of us live in a vacuum. So let's just borrow what ideas we can look at every data set, but don't necessarily Mm -hmm. include it in your meta analysis. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and two, you know, going back to what we talked about earlier with context, you know, when we are borrowing ideas from these completely different contexts, you know, we're not necessarily practicing the exact same thing. You know, when you take something out of one context and import it into another, even if much of the exterior looks similar, we're going to be experiencing in a different way from a different perspective, Mm -hmm. putting a different meaning to it, getting something different out of it. It's like, you know, Panda Express is not what people eat in China. I mean, actually, (laughs) I think I read somewhere that there might be a Panda Express opening somewhere in East Asia, but you know, that's not something that would necessarily be recognizable um, there as Chinese food, whereas, you know, we've taken some substance of it and and completely altered it. And I remember reading a really interesting article about this, I think it was by Gabriella Lucas, about Iron Mm. Chef and uh, this idea of, you know, globalization and how ideas travel around the world, but sometimes their meaning completely morphs by the time they get someplace different. And uh, she was talking about how this was originally a Japanese show that was kind of silly. It was a little bit of a satire of this kind of over the top kind of, you know, French cuisine where you're going to spend a thousand dollars on rare ingredients to make up sauce or something, you know, and and people enjoyed it. It was a little bit silly and entertaining. And then the Food Network in the US picked it up and, Mm -hmm. you know, Iron Chef America came out and was very popular. But that whole satire about, you know, the excesses of capitalism (laughs) uh, got lost somehow. You just dived into it. Yeah, this time the joke was, oh, it's this dramatic man doing martial arts flips. Ha 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 ha. How silly. And so the show came over, but the actual part about it that was funny, the meaning of it completely morphed into something else. And so Mm -hmm. it always seems to happen that way when we import things from one context to another, they also kind of shape and adapt. Yeah. I mean, I have a a copy of The Joy of Cooking from (laughs) the 40s, uh, like a non-updated addition and even if you were to follow those recipes to the letter, there's no way you could craft the same dish. You don't, the ingredients don't exist. And when we are talking about Buddhism in particular, or any of these ideas that go back, not just across the world, but thousands of years, we again need to be not just skeptical, but I think maybe humble about our ability to understand them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 100%. Yeah. So at the end of the day, David, I mean, do you imagine that 10 years from now, uh, meditation or Buddhist psychology Mm. or some of these other ideas that we're talking about are going to be more or less integrated and part of everyday American life? I, so two things. One, I hope so, actually. Sure. Uh, You know, very much, very much. Um, and, And from a practical perspective, I think so. I mean, there's meditation, there's the fad element of it. Yeah. Um, but there's also enough people who have seen some really good, helpful results 
and that um, that will, that has lasting power. And as we delve into some new therapies, uh, new drug therapies, and so on, uh, hopefully we don't to commercialize and destroy you know psychedelic research. But um, you know, it's like as we delve into some of these things, these mindful meditative practices will actually help these new therapies do even better for us. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, as we en- engage in um, so much of the big things that we have to deal with, from global warming to you know to h- how we deal with the next presidential election, I mean, the idea of being able to to slow down, to hold our thoughts lightly, to practice uh, reducing delusion, even the delusions that make us feel good, I think is a net positive. And very much, I'm thinking that this is going to in fact, I think possibly even grow uh, as a as a practice. Uh, it'd be nice to have it just be normalized as something you teach in you know kindergarten. Like I mean, there are there are great practices that can be done for you know school age ki- uh, children that can be very helpful in recognizing you know you can feel anything you want, and it's okay then to act on it in different ways. And mm-hmm. which talk about reduction in bullying, talk about reduction in, you know, anxiety and issues around identity, like being able to just sit back and go, you know what, I'm good. Or even this notion of an I is a little less concrete than I initially think. And maybe that's okay. That yeah. that notion that you don't need to believe everything that you think, that you don't need to attach yourself to every feeling, to every thought. Oh my gosh. Uh, it, it's powerful medicine. And it's something Huge. that I think we can really connect to a lot of the concepts that we're talking about here. Yeah. No, no, uh, absolutely. I mean, if that if that's the one thing any of my clients or anybody even here listening to leave with is that. I mean, just this whole uh, non-essentializing of the human experience. You know, the, nobody is defined solely by any single or even set of, you know, thoughts, emotions, behaviors, sensations, so on. And, and, and good, good that we are not, mm. uh, because that allows us to change and grow and become new versions of ourselves that are frankly, maybe better. Yeah. Well, uh, so I don't know if you need to teach us the kindergarten version exactly, <laughs> but do you have any any mindfulness skills or practices uh, or something we can just kind of put in our back pocket before we walk out tonight? Yeah, um, my go-to is 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 very very basic, uh, and that is uh, you know some refer to it as box breathing. Uh, some of uh, you know uh, it, um, that was a book actually I encountered years ago, like meditation without the magic, <laughs> you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I think something, some kind of title around that. Um, but it's literally just taking, you know, taking that breath and counting, you know, one, two, three, hold for three, out for three. And you're just allowing, you know, yourself to sink into that bodily sensation of itself being quiet. I mean, just, and you can do it once, like one cycle, in three, hold three, out three. And one cycle, once you start doing it enough, it immediately, I mean, there's a whole neurology behind it. Um, but it allows you that space to just slow down. You find yourself, you know, talking a little differently, the cadence you know, of your words starts shifting a little bit. And this is a very natural, uh, you know, way of, uh, you know, helping to not control, I usually use that word, but to 
allow for the recognition that this too will pass, whatever it is that happens to be, you know, holding on for the moment. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's definitely powerful stuff. And I will I'll actually specifically mention that both the uh, founder of RFR, uh, Daryl Ray, longtime friend mm-hmm. of the show, as well as the president of the ACA, the current president, Vern Grainer, have had uh, multiple conversations with me about box breathing specifically. It's mm-hmm. such a straightforward, simple practice. It's one of those things that as a therapist, it almost makes me feel uh, like a physical therapist because because mm-hmm. when I had a uh, an injury in my knee, I would go and I would ask them like, okay, so what do I need to do to rehab this? Like, am I, am I doing some weights? Like, are we doing some serious cardio? And they're like, no, no, no. We just want you to sit and just lift your leg and then mm-hmm. put it down and then just lift your leg and then put it in. And, and it feels so simple as to be really easy to dismiss and ignore and to miss out on the value of it. So of course, nobody actually does their homework and then they go to their next physical therapist appointment and they're not making any progress. And ah, But when you actually take the time to give yourself permission to do the stupid little thing, that stuff builds up. That stuff really amounts to something after after a while. Yeah, it's funny you say that, Christy. I actually first learned box breathing uh, in college sports. Um, mm-hmm. I, they didn't teach it as like necessarily a stress reduction technique at all. It was actually intended to have physical results. Uh, we did mm-hmm. um, precision rifle shooting, and it was to obviously mm-hmm. help you calm yourself. <laughs> but, you know, it was advertised more as, a, you know, this is a thing that will relax your muscles in the right way. And yeah, it it, it has actual real effects. It wasn't until years later that I realized, oh, this is actually good for, you know, relaxing when you're not holding a weapon as well. I'm from Texas. I'm sorry, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Context again. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that that works. I can attest. Yeah. It, well, and like Christy mentioned, I mean, it, 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 it's simple. It, it's it, it's deceptively simple. I mean, the the notion of uh, focusing on the breath that we often hear as a beginning practice can sometimes be really frustrating. Uh, as as powerful as it can be with practice, um, it can be really frustrating because we get caught up in these thoughts that we're having because we can't stop them initially. And so all of a sudden we start thinking of ourselves as a failing meditation. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. Let's let's bring it back a little bit more into this just, you know, basic, but still fundamentally powerful practice of recognizing that as much as we sometimes don't like our meat suits, uh, they are, you know, what we have and engaging the sympathetic nervous system is actually a really good idea uh, to you know bring things down and to slow and go, right, not everything is something that I need to be, to bring it back to Buddhism, attached because to mm-hmm. because that's going to lead to suffering yeah well before i let you go for the night are there uh, you've mentioned a, a handful of great books but are there any other books any podcasts websites or, or other resources you want to make sure to highlight here uh, let's see. I mean, I always make a plug for the uh, the, the short introduction series uh, of books. They're just fantastic. Uh, they've got one on Buddhism. They've got one on Buddhist ethics. Uh, you know, I'm going through one on love. Um, but I, I mean, it has everything from, uh, you know, the Russian Revolution <laughs> you know, to do any topic you want. It's like over 600 of them. Um, and no, I don't. I'm not a spokesperson uh, for them. But if you're listening. <laughs> Could be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so 
but yeah, any of that, um, I, you know, Owen Flanagan has some amazing work. He actually is a, a Buddhist monk, uh, also a philosophy teacher, I believe out of Stanford still. I don't know if he's still teaching there, uh, but amazing author. Uh, Stephen Batchelor, I think I already mentioned, uh, definitely you can encounter him. You're, you will not um, be worried about delving into woo-woo uh, with him. So, And uh, in his book, especially The Buddhist Atheist, goes into his, his history, which is just phenomenal. Uh, mm. I mean, it, it really is a powerful story. Of, he was doing translations uh, as a monk. <laughs> I mean, he was deep. I mean, it was the most important thing you can do. He left it all behind, got married, and it was just, uh, yeah, it's an incredible story. Um, so, yeah. Lots to check out. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. guess I'm just going to casually toss out there because I want, because I love it so much. Uh, Waking Up by Sam Harris. It's not like a detailed exploration of everything that we are talking about here so much as a, no, no, this is real and it's okay. Like the yeah. fake shit is fake and here's how to tell the difference. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's a, a great read for anybody whose skepticism meter is maybe a little bit like triggered by this conversation. Yeah, the app by the same name actually as well mm. is phenomenal. For I was aware of that. Oh, yeah. It is, it, it's my go-to. I, I recommend it for everybody. Um, and if you don't like Harris's voice, uh, which not everybody does, um, <laughs> he's literally got dozens of other teachers uh, who, you know, who are teaching various meditation practices, reflective practices. There are new ones coming out all the time. It is polished uh, and for like, I think it's five bucks a month. Um, but really, all you have to, if, if that's a problem, you just email him and ask him for it for free and he'll give it to you. Like, I mean, he makes Badass, no bones yeah. out. Like, he is not going to make, I mean, obviously he is making up with it, um, but <laughs> he doesn't have, like, that's not his sole point. His point is yeah. to freedom through recognizing uh, that the self is illusory and that you don't have to define yourself by your emotions and or singular. Um, so it's, it's some amazing teachers on there. Uh, well worth exploring. Well, those are excellent recommendations, y'all. I always come away from these with a full book list and podcast list and everything. <laughs> so got a lot of homework to do that I'm looking forward to. And I want to share now the results of our poll from earlier this evening. We asked, do traditional religions have anything left to offer the world? And the results are in 19% of people people said yes <laughs> traditional religions do have anything left to offer the world and that leaves a whopping 81% of our viewers who said no they do not so there you have it it, it remains to be decided whether uh, some of the practices we discussed this evening would be considered traditional religions sure, or yeah. something different but uh, mm-hmm. that that is the result of that poll <laughs> so very interesting thanks for participating and I want to make sure Sure, and leave everybody with a way to find out more about David and his work. And we have some links for you, I believe, to share with the world at large, where they can find you, your work, your socials. And um, I'm told that we do not have a slide for that. So instead, I would like to invite you to tell us <laughs> where people can find you. 
No problem. Um, yeah, my my main site is uh, lifeweavings.com, uh, uh, and you can find me, you know, there. Uh, Humanities Values is a podcast uh, that I will be returning to, um, but I've got like three dozen episodes out. Um, and also Instagram. I'm a photographer as well, uh, so you know, as a as a form of creativity. Uh, so you can find me at Life Weavings and on Instagram as well. And uh, uh, you can also just email me anytime. Like I love questions. So I swear I was a librarian in another life. So I love giving out resources. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's yeah. still time. <laughs> there is. Yeah. yeah. And and you've also done quite a few talks on RFRX that people mm-hmm. could find. Yeah. You go to YouTube. It's like somebody, 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 David, somebody, where he is. <laughs> it's really, it's, yeah, I think I'm at 14 or so. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. He's the, yeah. the leading RFRX presenter as well. So <laughs> quite a bit of good stuff there to, to check out too. Yeah. But. All right. Well, thank you for all of that. And if people can't get enough secular sexuality and ACA content, you can keep up with all of the goings on at the ACA on our website at atheist-community.org. Or you can email the ACA at tv at atheist-community.org. And don't forget that there's lots of merch that you can enjoy, and you can find that online at tiny.cc slash merch ACA. And there's all sorts of monthly rotating swag that you can pick from. And so definitely check that out. It's really cool. You'll love it. And finally, the most important part of the evening, we have to give a shout out to our crew. They are the ones who make all all of this possible and keep us on track and make everything happen. There they are. Thank you all. They are the best crew around, I have to say. (laughs) Well, as we uh, get ready to step out for the night, uh, David, I wanted to ask if there were any sort of final thoughts that you wanted to make sure to drive home or just anything that feels worth underlining. I I think reiterating that last point from before is the uh, non-essentializing piece. Mm. It's so very, very easy to get caught up in thinking, I am just this one thing, or viewing other people as just this one thing. And it's so destructive, and it's not helpful, and it doesn't allow for the freedom that is at the heart of our identity that we share. And so if there's any time you find yourself either doing it yourself to you or being done to you, um, then by all means, challenge it. Go, no, I'm more than this. Uh, And so are you. And that's a good thing. So yeah, that piece. Beautiful. Well, uh, we are so grateful to have you. I have to say this has been a conversation that has been on my bucket list for a really long time. So I'm super thankful that you were able to be here tonight and that we were able to have this conversation. Uh, But finally, tonight, it's, uh, it's with something of a heavy heart that I need to announce that next week, Thursday, February 23rd, will actually be our last episode of Secular Sexuality before putting the show on hiatus. Uh, It's our sincere hope to return with some fresh ideas and some fresh faces as soon as we can get the right team in place. Uh, But for now, we're looking forward to sharing a a fond farewell with uh, each of you next week. So if you are someone who is watching this, who usually watches the show over the course of the week, I'd love to 
urge you to join us live, to call in and uh, to help us say bon voyage and we'll meet again someday soon. So thank you very, very much for all of the great experiences over the last couple of years. I'm going to start planning next week's show before I get too choked up tonight. And I just ask that all of you take a quiet moment to yourself to center yourself, to find your happy place and give yourself a big old orgasm (laughs) or better yet give somebody somebody else else one you ever wanted to be a host on an ACA show or be the one calling the shots behind the scenes? Are you in Austin, Texas or at least Austin adjacent? Well, on Saturday, February 25th, make your way down to the Freethought Library because we'll be holding open auditions for show hosts and orientations for prospective crew members. For those wanting to be hosts, you'll be able to sit in the studio where our shows are broadcast and we'll put you through your paces to see if you can be one of the new personalities of the ACA. For future crew members, you'll get hands-on experience using the equipment used for broadcast and will help us record the host auditions. If you've ever dreamed of being part of the ACA Productions, then this is your chance to show us what you've got. This event is free. For more information and registration, visit tiny.cc slash ACA auditions.